Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher, 806 on this Wednesday. It's February 22nd, 12 degrees and snow here in Old Town Park City and plenty of it. On the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center meteorologist Thomas Geeboy. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. We talked about it yesterday, but we have seen a ton of snow around Park City in the Wasatch back. So if anybody has to be out on the roadways today, just make sure that you build in plenty of time. It's still going to take a little while for the snow plows to catch up. We'll likely see more in the way of scattered snow showers by this afternoon. So we're not seeing the, quite the blanket that we are right now, but we're going to hold on to a good chance for snow showers through today. And with some pretty cold temperatures in Park City, anything that we get is going to stick. So we're going to be looking at slippery conditions throughout the entirety of the day today. And then also we're going to be looking at some pretty breezy conditions. The daytime high in Park City will only reach 15 degrees. And with those winds continuing generally out of the northwest, Anywhere from 10 to 20 miles per hour wind chill values throughout today could be in the single digits, if not a little bit below zero. Pretty significant snow totals already in portions of uh, already seen portions in the mountains. But as we go into tonight, the chance for snow will go down slightly. It won't go away completely, though. So instead of a 100 percent chance today, it'll be more so 40 percent tonight. And then we have more energy coming our way for our Thursday and Friday. We're going to stick with the chance for scattered snow showers Thursday and Friday. Temperatures will moderate slightly. So instead of the teens like today, we'll be in the low 20s Thursday, upper 20s on Friday. Saturday at this point looks mostly dry. So that could be our relatively calm day with about a one in five chance for. Um, Drew, thanks for calling in. Great, Leslie. Yeah, I mean, it's just too much snow too fast. Um, periods of the evening, two to three inches an hour. Um, it's really a heck of a storm. I mean, to. No one surprises. Well forecast by the National Weather Service, our partners down here. But uh, upwards of 18 to 24 inches, uh, really in 18 hours or less. Um, at least the winds have mostly been on good behavior, except along the southern end of the Park City Ridge Line. Um, they've been blowing out of the southwest. Um, but otherwise, they've been fairly uh, light to moderate. Now, we do have a considerable avalanche danger on all aspects, all elevations. Don't be fooled if you're traveling in the low elevations. Now, there's, as you know, there's plenty of snow that's piled up. Uh, model guidance suggests that the winds are going to pick up out of the northwest um, mid to late morning into the midday hours. And so that is going to bump our avalanche danger to high travel in avalanche terrain is not recommended. Um, I'm hearing that avalanche conditions are already touchy. Uh, on a variety of aspects and elevations by control teams. Um, one uh, note in Provo Canyon, the UDOT uh, avalanche teams uh, fired the howitzer to protect the road. Of course, the road is closed. They had a very large avalanche that came down and just kissed the road about 30 yards away. And this is, we're talking like a 4,000 foot avalanche path, Slide Canyon. So, um, once again, our UDOT teams and our, our ski patrol teams are all over it. They're on top of it. But the conditions as expected are elevated and considerable currently, probably rising to high with elevated winds later in the day. Okay. Uh, stay safe out there. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. It's uh, 8.12 now. Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher. Well, stay tuned. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll be checking in with High Valley Transit Director 
Uh, Caroline Rodriguez will have the latest on the bus rapid transit funding process. Park City Library Director Adrian Wars will be on the phone with an update on what's happening at the library. Sounds like plenty. And finally, Heber City Council Member Mike Johnston will be on the phone talking about last night's decision on the Heber Ed- Airport and whether or not ranked choice voting will be used, continue to be used in some upcoming city elections. Park City Mountain Resort reporting 17 inches of new snow overnight with 40 lifts scheduled to run, 317 runs opening, 136 runs groomed, including Keystone and Lookout Ridge, uh, powder and machine groomed conditions, and Deer Valley reporting 20 inches of new snow overnight, with all 21 lifts scheduled to run, 103 runs open, and 54 runs groomed. Birdside and Bluebell are the groomer's picks. Again, they are calling for lift delays expected as snow safety work continues up the mountain so you may want to go online or check their twitter feeds to see what you can find out about that uh cross-country skiing at white pine touring they're going to do their best to keep the three and the 5k tracks uh well groomed today uh expecting it'll be later before they can even get out to the farm and in the Snyderville basin no grooming happening but they are working on plowing the safe uh routes and even though there's no school but just trying to get those trails open where people can commute on uh round valley again also holding off on any grooming until the the storm has passed but both uh round valley and wasatch trails asking you to get your snowshoes on and help pack out the single track kpcw news time now 8:14. again due to the uh, snow and weather related events many schools in northern utah are online only or with a two-hour delay this morning make sure that you check with your school district or your college or university before heading out here's what we know so far uh south summit school district will implement a remote learning day for its schools today, CAMA schools today. Parents can check their email for more details. And a reminder that this will be a learning day, not a day off. Attendance is being taken. The school district office is closed, including all of the UVU classes that are held at the district office. The Silver Summit and Park City schools are closed due to winter break. In-person classes at the University of Utah have been moved online due to the road conditions and weather. Instructors should reschedule in-person exams and communicate directly with their students about any changes. Utah Valley University will be delaying opening all campuses until 10 o'clock this morning. Classes are being taught remotely after that. Students need to check with their instructors for the status of their classes for the rest of the day. Uh, North Summit with a two-hour delayed start today. Buses will pick up two hours later than normal. School start time at about 10 a.m. And in Salt Lake City, we've got Juan Diego Catholic High School, St. John the Baptist Elementary, and St. John the Baptist Middle School all closed today due to the weather. And the Granite School District is switching to a distance learning day for all of its schools. Joining me now on the phone with an update from High Valley Transit, I have Executive Director Caroline Rodriguez. Good morning. Good morning. So you've got all of the buses and microtransit vehicles up and running this morning? Yep, they're all up and running. Uh, some are running a few minutes behind, but we're all up. Okay. Um, and so you had plenty of drivers then show up because that was probably the most difficult part about it. It was the most difficult part, and our drivers showed up, and we had some that we had in hotels last night to make sure they could make it in in the morning. Wonderful. Okay. So how do buses travel in the snow? I mean, are they, are, are they as well, good as Well, they're very normal? heavy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they're they're really heavy, so that makes a big difference. Um, and you know, they're, they're actually pretty good in the snow, the full size buses, as long as there's room. Which, as everybody's seen this year, there's very little room left on the roads, so that can be difficult. But um, in terms of driving and and control, they're pretty good. Hmm. Okay. I mean, do you put snow tires on them or all, or just they have so many tires on them? There's always not a problem. We do put snow. We do put snow tires on them. Oh, wow. Special. Well, they're not called snow tires, but they're specialty tires for the winter driving conditions. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Senate Bill eighty four. This was approved last week, and, and again, we. I think we're all still kind of scratching our heads. But there was uh, some something in there that kind of gave us pause about what whether or not uh, Summit County would be receiving the uh, $30 million um, uh, uh, funding from UDOT, um, and is that going to be reneged on? Do we know anything more at this point? We don't know anything more. We're still all trying to figure it out. I think even the folks that introduced the bill may be trying to figure that out, and that is because Summit County wasn't actually the recipient of that grant. High Valley Transit was. But but the way that our attorney reads the legislation is that um, that prohibition in funding would apply not only to Summit County, but any district within the county that is not deemed um, in compliance with this moderate income housing plan. So... I, in speaking to some of the legislators, they've said it wasn't their intent to prevent the BRT or any other transit funding, obviously, because whatever happens in Kimball Junction, um, we need the bus rapid transit to, you know, mitigate a lot of those impacts and the congestion that's there. So we're continuing to talk to our legislators. And as you've mentioned in all of your reports, I mean, Senate Bill 84, it's passed. So now we're trying to see if there's a way to work on some other legislation that's related that would um, clarify or maintain that funding for us. Okay, so stay tuned, I guess, for that, huh? Yes. Yep. Uh, anything else happening in the legislature that you're aware of that could impact what you do? Yeah, there's been a lot of... Uh, interesting bills. There was one that we were working on yesterday um, in partnership with law enforcement that would prevent any and all security monitoring of um, in any public places. And of course, we have security cameras on all our vehicles and facilities. So that was a big one for us. Um, I, I think universally, my understanding is that different interest groups have testified against that. You know, security is extremely important, not only for transit facilities, but all public facilities um, from things, you know, solving crimes down to there could be someone with autism who got turned around on the system and we use our cameras to help locate that person. So we use them on a daily basis. Um, there's also been some interesting legislation introduced that would allow um, the state, I, I believe, to land drones on public transit facilities, which if you have a lot of room, that's great. But if you are very limited in your 
physical geography of your facilities, that, that causes a problem for a small transit district such as ourselves. So it's things like that that we've been watching, but primarily, you know, we have been concerned with this funding, HTRZ, uh, moderate income housing plan issue. Mm. Okay, where are we with the uh, bus rapid transit lane process for uh, State Route 224? Yep, so actually last week, um, STA signed off on our categorical exclusion, which means that the project, um, there are no significant environmental impacts as a result of this project. So that's a big step in moving forward in the construction. And now we will be releasing a request for proposals for final design. Um, and that will probably take a little bit under a year and then it's on to construction. Okay, so who signed off on that? The Federal Transit? The Federal Transit Administration, FTA, okay. yes. All right, um, and you have, uh, so at this point you don't, you do have some design plans. You can't go forward with those. You need to do an entirely new RFP. Yeah, so when you go through design, uh, I'm sorry, when you go through the envi environmental process, you design to about 50 or 60% of design. And that's so you get enough detail that you can complete the environmental analysis. But now we finish out that design to the level of construction documents that can be bid out. And that's what we're talking about now. So this is when folks will really be able to see um, what it looks like. It's, it's less conceptual. Um, there will be a lot of discussion and public input around station designs and what the stations will look like rather than this is the maxed footprint of where a station would be. Now we're going to see what they will look like and what they will feel like and how they will operate. All right. So it sounds like the earliest we could get under construction would be maybe the spring of 2025. Spring of 2024. Okay. So a year from now, because I was thinking that, all right. Mm -hmm. Oh, all right. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've got another year then of design and then starting in 2024. Got it. Yes. Um, and then how yes. long, any idea how long construction would last? Um, we're hoping a year, and that is because the majority of the project is already within the existing footprint. So it's not, uh, we're not starting from scratch. And how impactful would that construction be on the existing traffic? Yeah, great question. Again, because we are mostly operating within the existing footprint, of course, there are going to be impacts but the impacts are gonna be less than you would expect from, uh, for example, a road project. Um, and all of that will be outlined and communicated during the final design process. But even a lot of our staging where we put the machinery and equipment is gonna take place um, close to or within the existing footprint. So the impacts will be less than potentially people are expecting. Okay, so again, these uh, BRT lanes would basically start there um, at Kimball Junction right? as soon as you get off the, the highway and travel all the way to the Old Town Transit Center? Where? Yeah, so the lanes actually start um, after Olympic Parkway. Mm -hmm. um, so they're after those first two lights, and then they, they go all the way through to Park City, and they start to merge into mixed flow traffic at the intersection, um, right before the intersection of 224 and 248. And then after that, 
um, we are in mixed flow and we use um, technology and um, improvements to the signal timing, et cetera. So the bus operates in mixed flow all the way to the Old Town Transit Center. Okay, either via uh, Deer Valley Drive or Park Avenue. Yes, Deer Valley Drive. Okay, Um, let's see. Anything else that people ought to know about the the BRT process? I think, you know, I, I know most people have heard that this is happening or moving forward at least. And I would say that over the next year as we get into final design, there's going to be a lot more um, public communication and opportunities for public comment and public education around the bus rapid transit and what it's going to look like and how it's going to operate. So definitely stay tuned for that. Okay. Um, you gave an update last week, I believe, at the Park City Council meeting on microtransit. Uh, again, that's a pilot project here within the city limits. Um, are you seeing the numbers that make this something that should be implemented? On the Park City side, we're not seeing the numbers that we want to see, and that is primarily because of the extremely small um, uh, zones that have been implemented in Park City. So for reference, I think the Park City Zone collectively is, um, I think it's, I forget the exact number, but it's, I know for a fact that it is the smallest zone worldwide within our VIA technology system. So comparatively, it's 20, you know, it's 20 times smaller than the Summit Zone or the Wasatch Zone. So just because, you know, by virtue of its size, the demand has been um, pretty limited in terms of ridership so we're only seeing we're only seeing about between 25 and 30 rides per day now keep in mind that even those number of rides per day um, in some cases are significantly more than um, park city was seen on a fixed route in the same area okay um you had suggested uh, that microtransit perhaps should be offered in all of Park City, um, basically, yeah. and because then that you you would see better use that way. Yeah, so we'd absolutely see better use, but more importantly, the power of microtransit is that the algorithm is always optimizing and programming the rides, and if you don't give the algorithm enough uh, factors to work with, you're essentially, you're limiting its power. And we, we know that, that microtransit can work in Park City, so we really wanna let the algorithm do its work and demonstrate the power of the technology that's driving the transit system. So not only does it optimize the micro rides, but it also pushes people to the fixed route system that potentially would not have used the fixed route system otherwise. Okay. Um, and I guess the council then will get what it goes through the winter or do you wait another year uh, or, or, you know, so you have a full so year's I, number? Yeah. So Park City staff is talking to their transportation liaisons and they're going to go over all of their options and the data and discuss what they want to do. You know, on the High Valley Transit side, we have some recommendations, but since this is a Park City service and they're funding it, it's really up to them. Um, and they, I, I believe they're making that decision on Friday and will come back to us and let us know how they want to proceed on the pilot. 
All right. So if if that is the case and that they go through uh, town-wide, city-wide, would, would we have the vehicles and the drivers to make that happen? Yes. So because the demand has been so low in these very limited Park City zones, we believe we can meet the demand with the existing Park City vehicles. And yes, as you're aware, our driver model is very flexible, so we also have the drivers. So the short answer is yes, we can meet the demand. Okay, um, I had somebody notice that the, uh, excuse me, I choked on my hot tea here. Um, <clears throat> somebody noticed that um, people driving the microtransit vans, there, a lot of them just parked, and what, are they just sitting and waiting for a ride? Is that, is that what happens? Yes. That's exactly what happens. We ha we call them um, bases, and essentially those those folks are just waiting to be dispatched. Um, they they're waiting in certain areas where we predict a ride will be requested. And, uh, in Park City, as I keep saying, um, the zones are so small that essentially they're waiting right where a ride would be requested. If folks notice in the Summit County area, you hardly ever see vehicles um, parked waiting for a ride because we're almost always on the road. All right, but they get paid hourly. It's not like uh, an Uber they ride. They do get paid hourly. Okay. Yes, correct. They get paid hourly. All right. Um, finally, I just wanted to ask you, how are things going with the new facilities being built off of US-40? <sighs> Dirt's moving. So thank goodness dirt is moving. You know, um, we're always glad for snow in the Wasatch back, but at this very moment in time, I, I was not glad to see it a foot of snow over, um, you know, a lot that's supposed to be, that we're supposed to be digging on right now. So I guess things are moving, but it's definitely winter conditions. Okay. Anything else, Caroline, you wanted to mention? Uh, thank you, everybody who has ridden this past year and a half on High Valley Transit exceeded expectations and um, we can't wait to serve you in the future okay caroline thanks so much for your time talk to you next month thank you bye-bye caroline rodriguez is the executive director of high valley transit well february is national library lovers month and on the phone now with an update about how the park city library is celebrating i have library director adrian Oras. good morning Good morning, Leslie. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. So you have on display at the library where people can um, write a love letter or a breakup letter to the library. What are people telling you? Yeah, Leslie, this is a really fun display we have right now. Not only is February Valentine's Day, so you can show love to all the people in your life, you can also show love to the library. Right now we have this display where people can come in and it's kind of a fun way to get feedback from the community about how we're doing. You can write a love letter or a breakup letter to the library telling us what you like about our services or maybe what you'd like to see changed. So what have you heard so far? So far we've had, I will be honest, we haven't gotten really any breakup letters, which of course we're grateful for, but we always do want to hear how we can do better. We have lots of thank yous for the guinea pigs and for the programs and for the children's story times and um, for the staff. So we're hearing wonderful things about the library, but we do take all feedback seriously and we'd love to hear from everyone. Okay. Um, you've changed the hours. Tell us how that's working. 
That's going beautifully. This was a responsive change to community feedback as well. We have the coffee shop, of course, Lucky Ones in the library, where many people come to hold early morning meetings, get their cup of coffee, sit and relax and enjoy Park City. In the summertime, of course, the patio is open. But our hours were not very well aligned. And in addition, we were noticing there were very few people in the library during the late hours of the day. So we've shifted our hours forward. We're getting a lot of good response, all positive. People are coming in the morning, getting their coffee, and then they're able to come right into the library because our doors are open at 9 a.m. now. Okay, and then closing an hour earlier, so when to... Closing, yes. Uh, we close at 8 instead of 9, Monday through Thursday, and we close an hour earlier on Friday and Saturdays as well at 5. So slightly earlier closing and opening. Okay, and then on Sunday, it's still uh, 1 to 4? 1 to 5, one yes, to five 4 on hours Sundays. on Sundays in the afternoons. Okay, all right. Um, any special programs this week with school being off? Well, we've got a lot coming up in March. Um, before we move on from Love Your Library Month, if you don't mind, I'd love to just say that you can show love to the Park City Library by buying a tile on the tile wall for our fundraiser. This is a wonderful way to tell people in your life that you love them and that you want them to be recognized in perpetuity on the tile wall. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's a beautiful photograph that's going from black and white to color, and you can put a dedication on it. So I just want to mention that that's a really nice way to recognize both the library and the people in your life during Library Lovers Month. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about then some of the special programs that you've got coming yeah. up. You've got the uh, Rotaria, or basically Mexican bingo, happening what, every month? Every month we're doing Rotaria, and this month that will be at 6 o'clock on March 1st. We actually have quite a few programs front-loaded in March, and a couple that I want to tell you about that you'll want to get involved with quickly because they do require registration. Um, we are opening registration for our tea parties on March 1st, and this is going to be high tea with Michelle Wiles of Ballet Next. Dress in your finest attire and enjoy lovely tea, delicate finger foods, live music, it's sponsored by the Friends of the Library. There's a kids party at 2 o'clock on the 18th of March and one just for grown-ups at 11 on March 18th. And just remember to register because there's a limited amount of seating for that. Um, another program that we're taking registration for is Ballet Next with Michelle Wilde. If you haven't seen her ballet troupe here in Park City, it's a wonderful thing to come and see on the Santee Auditorium stage. Um, Sleeping Beauty, a version of Sleeping Beauty, is going to take place on March 29th, but you'll want to get your tickets in advance online. Just go to our website and dress as a fairy and bring a blanket is what I hear this year. Okay. Um, also wanted to mention a program you've got happening March 6, 4 to 5 p.m. It's a program you're calling Winter Stitches. What's this about? Yeah, Winter Stitches. This is something where we are learning how to patch, mend, reuse old clothes, make repairs, or make something new. Uh, there will be a pillow project reusing old fabrics. So it's a really a nice part of our sustainability efforts. Um, and we hope you'll join us to come sew and learn how to make repairs on all of your clothes so they last longer. I love that. Are you going to, what, all hand stitching, or do you actually have some sewing machines available? 
We do have some sewing machines. Oh my goodness, excuse me, sewing machines available. But I think this one is going to be mostly hand stitching. Um, And of course, it's a nice opportunity to talk around a stitching circle as we used to do in the past. Um, So it should be a real fun one. All right. And then for fans of Finding Your Roots on PBS, you've got uh, Finding Your Ancestry Social Club happening March 7th. This is between 11 a.m. and noon. So what happens here? Yeah, this is a place where you can come and meet with other people who are exploring family history. So we have ancestry uh, ancestry.com on our website as a resource that you can use through our database searches. And this is a way to get together with other people who are using the database, compare ideas and how to use this resource to find your family history. Cool. All right. Um, also wanted to, to mention that uh, through the library, you have volunteers that are helping folks uh, file their tax, uh, income tax uh, yeah. forms. Um, this is, I guess, you're taking appointments. Um, how, how are you? You're yep. just providing the space for this? Is that how it works? It's a partnership. We are holding holding the space, but a lot of this is done online. So this has helped getting your taxes done for free. There's an income um, level that one must meet to be involved. So if you have any questions, please contact the library. They can set you up with volunteers that will help you do your income taxes. A lot of those are with the assistance of staff downloaded online. And then there's a professional tax assistant that will help you get that done. Um, It's a wonderful service and it helps people who need um, assistance at a given income level. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm reading it's uh, making household income of less than $60,000 a year. So there is that income requirement. Um, Also wanted just to note uh, chess at three on Fridays. Is this just for kids or is this for anybody who wants to learn how to play chess? This is recommended for slightly older audience, maybe nine and up. So not the little tiny kids, but clearly kids who have played chess before or want to get an introduction and have that skill level as well as grown-ups. So we're doing a lot of intergenerational programming at the library, which makes it so that we can all come together and play board games and chess. And it's a really fun way to get involved with others in your community, meet people and learn a new skill. Or practice a skill you already have. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to mention, too, because I had heard that uh, you have got a uh, number of what youth service librarians coming to Park City for some kind of conference this week? We do. We've got uh, Miss Katrina, who's involved with the Utah Library Association Youth, youth um, Roundtable. And I think she's going to be chairing that next year, actually, for the state, which is a big honor. Um, This month, they're coming to the Park City Library to meet, talk about youth services programs across the state of Utah, help planning for many libraries to engage their kids in their communities. And it's a really lovely opportunity for librarians all across the state to see Park City and take part in our library and see what we're doing. Very cool. All right. Um, finally, I wanted to mention that you personally received an award recently for your work on the Library Leadership Podcast. Tell us about this. Oh, gosh, Leslie. Um, thanks for asking. Yes, the Mountain Plains Library Association has um, awarded me the Innovators Award for 2023 for my work on Library Leadership Podcast, which I've been doing since 20. 20- 
17. Um, this is a show where I interview library leaders across the nation about their initiatives and their libraries. I learn something from it every time I do a show. Uh, it shares out across the United States so other libraries can learn from one another. And it's been a wonderful process. And I'm just so honored to receive that award. Yeah, congratulations. I mean, is this a podcast that uh, the rest of us would like to listen to? Or is it really just about, <laughs> about you know, librarians? Well, the focus is libraries, but it really is about leadership, how to be the best leader in your organization. And it's available at libraryleadershippodcast.com as well as on your podcast app. I've had leaders, some, some of them local here, who've talked about their leadership, their recruitment, their staffing. And it's a great way to get ideas for your own organization, even if you're not in libraries, but it does focus on libraries particularly. Yeah, and I'm just going to plug a book that I'm reading. Um, and I have you talked to her, Susan Orlean, the, the author of The Library Book? I think that book is outstanding. I haven't talked to her personally, but it's a great read. It really fills you in on the history of libraries and what libraries mean to their community. So I'm so glad you're reading that, Leslie. Oh, it's, it's a fascinating book. It's a little bit slow going for me, but um, yeah, I mean... And it's just so sad sometimes, right, when libraries burn down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was about a library fire, and it really talks about what that meant to the community as they worked to rebuild. Um, gosh, and I go way back with Salt Lake City Public Library decades, and I remember some of the same issues with services and very busy populations in libraries in a metropolitan area, and that's what they were experiencing in that book. Yeah. All right, anything else you wanted to mention? Oh, I just want to mention that um, on a crazy snowy day like today, uh, we have One Book, One Community this year, and it really focuses on our community. Um, the book is called Powder Days, Ski Bums, Ski Towns, and the Future of Changing Snow by Heather Hansman. We read this all year long, and then Heather comes to us at the Park City Library on August 29th. So if you want to get started reading that book, check with the library, come on in, pick up a copy, get started reading, and then there will be all kinds of community discussions, and the author will be in town later this fall. Awesome. Okay. And you got plenty of books available? We do. Okay. Adrian, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Leslie. Have a good day. You too. Adrian Wars again, is the Library Director for Park City Municipal. Well, the Heber City Council met last night, and on the phone with a meeting recap, I have Council Member Mike Johnston. Good morning. Good winter morning, Leslie. So the Council uh, voted 4-1 to one to continue along with the airport study and send it off to the Federal Aviation Administration for approval. It's not the final approval, in my understanding, in the process, but basically it just shows the Council's support to move the runway 140 feet farther away from Highway 189, 700 feet east away from downtown, and then to widen the runway from 75 to 100 feet, all in the name of safety. There are many more details. Any others stick out to you last night? You know, that's the major thing. It's What we did was just um, approve our version of the airport layout plan and, and directed our staff to send it to the FAA. Um, it's, it's a 20-year potential plan. I don't think you'll see that runway moving until it's, it's hit its useful life, and that could be at least 10 years, maybe 15 years. Um, those are the major things. And by moving the runway away from the highway, it does necessitate moving the old, hang what we call hangar row, the old hangars that line up along the old current runway. 
those would have to be moved. So that would be done first. Um, also, we, we, by, by moving the runway, we would be removing um, a big chunk of the current fixed base operator space. So before moving the runway, we would have to, we would have to move the fixed base operator. So the airport layout plan kind of shows a whole new way of laying out the airport with this ch change coming someday. Okay, so you're saying this isn't uh, in, in our near future here. We're talking construction not even starting for a decade, huh? Likely, yeah. <laughs> Basically, it, it shows it, it's, it's an agreement with the FAA of as they fund improvements or, or rebuilds or asphalt changes to the airport, uh, that's where the money would be put is directed towards implementing that airport layout plan rather than status keeping the status quo so so who voted and again? the biggest change is shifting the is, is shifting the runway so there's much wider clear zones we're going from you know a 500 or a, or a a 500 fit a 500 foot wide free clear area to an 800 foot wide clear area um along the highway all right who voted against it uh, yvonne barney okay councilwoman barney Okay, any reason why that was given or? Uh, no, she didn't give a reason. I, I, we all expected that. I think she has the safety of knowing that four of us are going, we're, we're moving forward with it, and she voted uh, what she thought was politically expedient, I suppose. All right. Well, those who oppose the plan say that noise and pollution are their detriments to the quality of life in Heber. Some worried about planes maybe crashing into local buildings and neighborhoods. Um, are there ways that you've noticed airplane uh, airport planners addressing those concerns? Well, that we, those are concerns. Yeah, they're, they're they're real concerns, and there are ways to address them. That would be coming in the future. The first thing we had to do to even start to be able to get to that talking about noise and air pollution would be to finish finalize the airport layout plan. So that's done. There are ways to submit requests to the FAA dealing with noise. They will be doing those studies uh, down the road the next few years um, and, and then finding ways to mitigate that. But I, I'm not sure the noise is honestly <laughs> – we really have an airport that's not that busy compared to so many airports, uh, small airports. So I don't think we're going to get any uh, leeway on that. Air pollution is – you know uh, – uh, my understanding is just like vehicles, um, jets are, and, and planes are getting less polluting as newer as that new planes are developed and sold. So I think that's going to help changing in, in fuel, going to unleaded fuel, which is coming. We're certainly pr pr pushing for that. So that, that, that will, those, those things all help. Um, and again, just, you know, something we'd like to bring up every time we talk about it is why is the city doing this? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'll give you my understanding of that. Uh, you, we are all very aware that the growth of, of Heber City, of, of Park City, of Wasatch County, of Summit County, uh, we have steady growth of very high-end properties, wealthy property owners moving here, wanting to buy up properties in, in Summit County, Wasatch County. Uh, I can name them, you know, Two Hay, Victory Ranch, Red Ledges, Deercrest, Promontory. These individuals tend to uh, 
they own jets or they fly on on private jets, uh, net jets, and 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 so the, that has caused the growth the, the, the growth of jet traffic at our airport. Oh, and since about 2015, maybe 2013, we have become non-compliant uh, in our airport layout because of the number of those private jets, uh, C2 class planes land here, and so. At that point, once once a certain number, the number is 500 uh, operations per year. Once we've exceeded that, the FAA requires us to then make the runway safer for for these faster planes. It doesn't mean we're making the runway thicker for for heavier planes, or that we're making the runway longer for bigger planes. It means we're, we're widening the safe the clear zones on the runway. We're widening the runway. We're adding 25 feet of asphalt, so and then 150 feet on each side of clear zones, so that if these planes, you know, land and and, and move to the sides uh, accidentally because of wind or ice or something, that they have a clear zone and they don't, you know, hurt, hopefully they don't get injured or they don't run into the highway or run into the hangars and you know people oh, people at the airport. So. The FAA, that's their standard, and we are required to plan to follow that standard as possible when possible. Okay. We, we pushed this off for 10 years, Leslie, and the FAA finally said, you know, not we being the current council, but past councils just ignored the FAA, and the FAA said, if you don't start this airport master plan study, all your funding for the airport ceases, and you will have to fund that on your property uh, on your citizens, and so the council moved forward wisely, and we've we've now taken about four years to complete that plan, and and it's a it's a good plan. All right, moving on, another year for a municipal election. The council yesterday voted unanimously to approve ranked cho- choice voting. Uh, council yeah. member Scott Phillips said he was at the Capitol when a lawmaker led a push to squash the use of uh, ranked choice voting, or RCV. But some council members voice different ways. They, they still feel it's a good system locally. What do you think? I think it's a great system, um, especially for municipal elections. You know, in a city council election, it's nonpartisan. They're generally at large, at least in Heber City. Everything's at large. So we will have six, eight, ten people throw in their their, uh, their name and want to participate in the election process. And and ranked choice voting, one, allows us to, have, to, to not deal with the primary, to eliminate two or three of those people down to six, but it allows us to, to, to keep a kind of a tight campaigning season, uh, September or, or August, September, October, rather than starting campaigning in June and going through a primary and then you win, you know, win all out one or two or three people, and then you go back and do it all over again. So it saves huge costs for the city, and it saves. I think, I think, I think most citizens really don't want to see campaigning in the summertime. I went through that three years ago. They're just not interested. And as a as a as someone who's campaigning, when people aren't interested, there's really no reason to do it. You know, it's it's better I think to push this back to the the, the, the fall season. And then I think it's a really uh, it's a fair way to get good candidates, and everybody has a say. And then you rank them how they go, and, and it works. We, we did it two years ago, no, a year ago, one year ago, and it, I think it worked great. Yeah, and for so those everybody was agreed. 
for those though, though that don't think it's a good system, I mean, what what are they saying about it? What? <laughs> I don't think they understand it. I think it's a partisan thing. I think it's a, you know it's just like election deniers and people that don't trust elections at all. If they don't trust elections. They don't trust computers, and they're not going. They they, they they don't trust ranked choice voting either. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, what about the, the bill and the legislature? I don't know if you've heard about this. That would allow county clerks to decide if a county should discontinue mail-in balloting. Are you a fan of mail-in ballots? Absolutely. I think mail-in ballots, anything that can make voting easier for, for the citizens and is, is good, in my opinion. And, and we've done mail-in voting here in Utah for, gosh, what, two decades now? I think it's wonderful, and you know, we, we, as an elected official, I've paid attention to the elections and the counting, and you know, we get to do that. And I think it's it's gone off. It's 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 great. Okay. Um, again, as you mentioned, you've got three years under your belt. You would run for election this year. Is that what you're planning to do? Oh, I do not have a plan yet. I. It's a lot of work, Leslie. It's. It's a second full-time job, and it's not—it's uh, not easy. You know, we probably—you know—all of us, including myself, probably spend at least twenty hours a week, sometimes thirty, sometimes forty, wow. uh, working on reading, studying, talking, uh, answering emails, going to various boards and, and uh, meetings that are constantly there. So it's—it's it's, it's a lot of work, and I'm not—I uh, would like to see good candidates uh, step up and and run for election and if i thought there were some really good candidates and i would feel real pretty good about not running again well you really haven't sold it well but uh, okay well, that's uh, the thing <laughs> um hey what's what's going on with the uh the uh, smith's marketplace construction what do you know so if you've driven by you've noticed that uh all the snow has been pushed off the the uh, the road the road alignment and then there's a uh, sewer pipe and water pipe all stacked up. So they are starting that uh, first section A of the, what's been called the Eastern bypass. It just kind of swings around the east side of the city. Um, that's a local road, not to be confused with the high 40, highway 40 Western bypass. And that, that road's underway in Smith marketplace. I believe they've submitted all their plans and they're probably, I haven't followed the building department process, but I know that they're in wait, waiting for permits. So they will be starting this, uh, I think, as soon as the, 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 the earth dries out this summer. All right. And then um, this entertainment center business idea there on Main Street at a movie theater. How, how likely do you think that is to, to get off the ground? Okay. So, you know, we've got two old theaters in town, the Avon and the Ideal. And the Ideal has... Uh, is not open right now. It's closed, and there's a there's a a local person that looks looking to buy that and remodel it um, and put in a family arcade, as I understand, um, with a music stage and you know place for youth, teenagers, and families to uh, come and enjoy food and uh, fun and entertainment and the. The concern with that, well, here's the, the hiccup with that is that that type of use is, is different than a, a theater use. The current theater has really no parking. I mean, most of our two or three central blocks of downtown have no on-site parking. 
which is just historically how it's been, just like Park City. But our current code and, and many city codes require that if you change the use of a, of a building, you have, to bring, you have to bring up your zoning compliance, including two parking standards, which, of course, would kill anything to move into this uh, theater building, even though they've got, I think, 240 seats. So that was the request is, hey, what, is parking really, do we really have to hold them to this standard? And my strong feeling, and I think the others on the council agree that, you know, requiring on-site parking in a, in a vibrant downtown and filling your downtown with parking lots is really a, a, a downtown killer. Uh, I think that what we want is a, is a, park, is a park once and walk downtown. That's what Park City has done very well with uh, your your uh, public parking structures, and that's what we need to do is walk, park once and walk. Okay, Mike, i got to leave it so. there. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Hey, good to chat.